Well, good to see you all. Uh, if you're here for the first time, uh, then just want to say a special welcome to you. My name's Phil, if we haven't met. It'd be great to uh, meet you before the end. Uh, and I'm one of the leaders here at Hope Church. Uh, it's always good to welcome new folk to church, especially when they're also new to this world. Uh, and uh, Connor and Roz have just done a great thing. They've just had a baby. Uh, <laughs> and li- little Joni, with an absolutely magnificent head of hair, uh, is sitting over there. So please, mob them and say things like, ah, uh, before the end. It's great to see uh, that. Um, it's great to be uh, with you this morning um, and uh, to, to be sharing uh, a few things that uh, God's put on my heart uh, for you and for us. Um, but I think before we, before we do anything, we need to, to pray. Um, one of the, the things we really value, in fact, the thing we value more than anything else um, in this church is the presence of God. Um, and we... We just need him. We need his presence. Um, his presence uh, changes us. It, he, he's able to, to communicate things to our hearts in a way that I am not uh, He can use what I say, but, uh, but it's him who's going to change you. It's him who's going to speak to you this morning, and, and we need him. We need him desperately. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. I'm going to invite um, the Holy Spirit among us. And uh, why don't you just, where you are, open your hearts um, to him and just say, God, actually, what is it that you want to, to speak to me this morning? I pray that you would speak to me this morning as we do, as we go through the word. Jesus, I thank you for your incredible love for each of us here, Lord. Um, God, so many different people here, different situations they come from, different experiences in their lives, but Actually, your love for each of us is common to us all. You love us so much. You're so desperate, Lord, that we would know you more. God, I pray, we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come right across this room. God, I pray right now that you would would help, uh, you would use this, Lord, what I've prepared to just minister to each one of us individually. I pray that you would inspire us, Lord. I pray that you would comfort those who need to be comforted. God, you would enlarge our vision of who you are and what your plan is for our lives and for uh, this this world. Jesus, we, we love you and we need you. Holy Spirit, come. Come, Lord. Come, Lord. Do a work in our lives this morning. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, Here's the thing. Uh, God doesn't uh, just want to build big churches. He wants to change the world. His agenda is it's transformation of the whole world. Cultural and societal transformation. The world looking different. Heaven touching earth and changing it. The kingdom coming on earth 
as it is in heaven. That is God's agenda, to change the world. When you were a, a little kid, when I was a little boy, um, you know, you, ha- you kind of watch superheroes on TV and stuff like this, and you kind of have these, you know, you either dream of being a train driver or of changing the world. I always dreamt of changing the world. Uh, I always, um, I wanted to, to be part of something that did that, and uh, when I was 20 and, and God saved me, um, he kind of invited me in to, to his plan uh, to change the world. He really, he wants to change this world. He wants to transform it. And he wants to use us to do it. Right from the beginning of, of the Bible, uh, in Genesis, when uh, God makes uh, Adam and Eve, he says to them that he's going to bless them. And that uh, they should be fruitful and multiply. And that they should fill the earth and subdue it. And he said that, you know, I'm giving you all you need for the job. I'm giving you all the food from the trees and for the plants of the earth. All these things are for you so that you'll have what you need to be fruitful, to multiply and to fill the earth. To change the world. To bring the kingdom. And the problem came in only when Adam and Eve didn't really believe that God was giving them all that they needed to fulfill what he asked them to do. So, well, actually, maybe we need the fruit from that one tree that God doesn't want us to touch in order to fulfill this plan. We see this all the way through... Uh, this pattern all the way through in God's dealing, dealings with man. When he comes to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12, he says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and uh, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, and through you all the nations of the world will be blessed. I'm going to use you to change the world. I'm going to bless you, and through you the whole world will be blessed. And Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Believing God, believing that God has given you all you need to accomplish this task of changing the world. And the problem only came for the children of Abraham when they stopped believing that that was enough, that they needed to add their own works and their own efforts to this job. And then Jesus comes along and he lives his life and at the end of it, just before he goes back to the Father, he says in Matthew 28, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. He says, I'm going to bless you to these men. And I'm going to give you a job. You're going to go into the earth and you're going to transform it. You're going to change the world. You're not just going to build churches, although that is part of it. You're going to affect culture. You're going to change society. You're going to engage with this world and bring 
the kingdom down to this earth. And the amazing thing is when you read your way through Acts is that they kind of did it. They kind of just went out there and did it. And so in Acts 17, they referred to the men, referred to as the men who have turned the world upside down. They went out and they did it. And the church's only problem really has come when we stop receiving what we need for this task from the Father. We stop listening to the Father as Jesus did. We stop receiving the Spirit as the early church did and carrying that out into the world to turn it upside down. There's a part in the Bible where um, God's people, uh, Israel, in the Old Testament, have, uh, have kind of fallen away from God's original plan. And, uh, and he sends them in exile as a result. He takes them from their homeland in Israel, and he carries them off to, uh, to Babylon uh, as, as kind of servants and slaves of that culture. And... Uh, and they live there for, for 70 years, um, kind of as a judgment, really, on, on the fact that they'd kind of fallen away from what God wanted from them, from the relationship that they, God wanted to have with them. They were sent, if you like, into exile as a judgment, into a foreign land. But in the New Testament... God's people are sent into foreign lands, not as a judgment, but to bring blessing to all nations. And that's what we're doing here. That's what we're, that's the, the idea for Hope Church, that we would be sent into this amazing city of Glasgow to bring blessing so I want to look at a part of uh, Scripture from the Old Testament that speaks of this time when God's people were taken from their homeland and were sent into this other culture. Because although in, in the original context it was for judgment, for here we can apply some of the truths in this passage to our lives as we go out into our culture and seeking to bless this amazing city that God's put us in. If you've got your Bibles, if you could turn to Jeremiah and uh, chapter 29. We're going to read from that chapter there. Okay. Jeremiah chapter 29, we're going to read from verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts. This is Jeremiah writing to uh, the people of Israel when they're in Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles 
whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. These famous verses declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Okay. So this is, a, this is a passage of scripture. What's happening here is that Jeremiah, as, as the prophet of God, is, is writing a letter to the people, to the exile who are in Babylon, who are in this foreign culture, who are in this land which doesn't uh, subscribe to any of the values um, that, that they would uh, recognize as, as godly values for life. Um, but nevertheless, they have been put there. And, and what's Uh, The context into which uh, Jeremiah is writing this letter is that there are some prophets among the people of Israel who are in Babylon who are essentially saying to them, you know, in a couple of years, you'll be back to Israel. Don't bother kind of settling in. Don't bother becoming part of the city because in in a few years' time, in just a few years' time, you'll be home. And, uh, And so you can forget about these horrible Babylonian people. Jeremiah writes to them something completely different. says, you'll be there 70 years, so do this stuff. What does he say to them? And what relevance can this have for how we are to interact with this amazing city of Glasgow? Well, in verse 5, he says this. He says, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. He says, invest in the city where I've sent you. Invest in the city where I have sent you. Most people in our cultures invest really only in themselves. And for everything else, they consume. We have a consumer society uh, where people look for largely what they can draw out of something rather than what they can put in. Uh, that's true, isn't it? And, and we've got to be so careful in the church that our mindset 
when we think about the city, is something completely different. We are to be people who invest in our surroundings, invest in our communities, invest in uh, our neighbours and uh, in, in different things that we get involved in. We're to be givers and participators rather than consumers. I was chatting to uh, Joy, uh, the other Joy Kennedy, the other uh, week, and she was telling me that uh, in her uh, um, in Loch Winnock, a village in the south of Glasgow, um, south of Glasgow, where uh, they live, their family live. Uh, what they've done recently is they've uh, they've set up uh, um, Joy and our friend Sue, which many of us know, some of us know, Sue Chesh, have set up like a, a kids club. Um, in the, in the church hall there for kids in the local community. So that uh, um, kids, maybe parents who have got absolutely uh, nothing to do with God, nothing to do with religion at all, but they can bring them there and they can learn something about God and they can have fun. That is what I mean. Some people who are investing, who are giving of their time, giving of their selves, to their community in order to bless, be a blessing to the people around them. They are givers and not participators. Jan Trigo, you discover some um, amazing things that you think you know people and then you discover uh, that you don't. But I remember being around at uh, the Trigo's house and, and Jan was talking about some stuff that she was organizing for the Scouts. I mean, Maybe that would go together in your head, but it didn't go together in mine. Jan and the Scouts. And I, th- I thought, you know, this, I don't know how I feel about the Scouts, but I thought, Jan, <laughs> I thought, God bless you, Jan Treadgold. You know, there she is, getting stuck, getting stuck in with the Scouts, organizing their jumble sale or their fundraising, being a blessing to the community, you know, Getting involved in what needs to be done. Participating, giving of our time, and giving ourselves for the blessing of those around them. That is what Jeremiah is saying that God's people should do. And that's our role in Glasgow, to be people who give and give and give. Get involved with people. Sometimes you hear messages like this and saying, get involved in your community because actually you might get them along to church. You know, or get involved in your community because they might get saved. And while that's all true, we want to get involved in our city with a pure heart. We want to get involved in our city because we love our city. We want to love people because we love them. Not with an agenda. That was, that was the way Jesus did it, doesn't he? he? He healed ten lepers. And only one of them came back. He knew only one would come back. But he healed ten because he loved all ten. That's the kind of people we want to be, don't we? People who are involved in our communities just because we love people. And who knows? God will surely reach some of those that we are in relationship with. And it's true to say, isn't it, that, well, I hope you realize this, that if you are 
a child of God, then you have something of heaven in you. You have something that you can give away to people. You can have... the last week, um, or a couple of weeks ago, uh, I was uh, doing my marking at the end of day in, in, in my, in my uh, classroom, and the, and the cleaner walked in, and I wasn't in my normal classroom, so it wasn't the cl- a cleaner that I'm, I'm used to, and, uh, and we got chatting, and then she told me she was, she was sick, and uh, you know, it's that kind of moment where you think, do I really have heaven within me? <laughs> That, kind of scary, that scary moment where you think, yes, right, okay, I'm sure there's something I should be doing here. <laughs> but listen, we are people who carry God's blessing. That's what, that was what he said to Abraham, I'll bless you and through you I'll bless all the nations of the earth. Listen, you have received the blessing of God so that through you that blessing might flow out to other people who you come into contact with. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, and eat their produce. Contribute, invest to this incredible city. What else does he say? He says in verse 6, Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. He's talking about doing family life, doing family life. And uh, family life, I think, he, I think he focuses on family life because family life is foundational to society. If you want to know what um, is broken uh, in Glasgow or where the brokenness in Glasgow comes from, then you can look at families and say, well, the brokenness in Glasgow actually is a reflection of the brokenness in families in Glasgow. I met a guy last week. He was telling me that, um, I mean, his life has kind of spiraled really out of control. But when he was, I was asking him a bit about his background. And he said when he was 16, he discovered that the guy who he thought was his dad actually wasn't his dad. Um, but he knew... Um, another bloke that he'd known who I think uh, that he kind of had some kind of relationship. In fact, this other man was his father. And, um, and he almost, when he found out, he almost killed him. And his, his whole life, he was saying, you know, I, how can I trust anyone having been lied to by the people who love me most? And you start to see that actually what happened in his family had repercussions for the rest of his life. And repercussions not just for his life, but for all the lives around him and for the society around him. Because the building block of our society happens most often in the home. And Brian's story, this guy that I met the other week, is actually familiar to lots of people. But we're called to do family by a different set of values, by the values of the kingdom. And families have an atmosphere, don't they? There's some, there's some family homes that you go into that are like sanctuaries. 
You know what I mean when I say that? You go, like, we've had, many of us will have had experience of this. You've had a rough day. You've had a rough time recently in life. Things are getting you down. You feel kind of a bit depressed and low, but you know that if you go around there for tea, you know, you'll be able to relax. You'll be able to have fun. People won't judge you. They'll, they'll encourage you, and you'll leave feeling a million bucks. Families create a kind of, they have an atmosphere, they create a, a place, not just for the raising of, of kids, of our own kids, biologically, but spiritual kids, other people who can come in and sample and taste this atmosphere and have their lives transformed. I want to say to you, if you are married in this church, I want, you to, I want to give you that vision for your marriage. That it's actually, it's, it, yes, it is for you first to have a great relationship. And yes, it is to raise amazing kids. Yes, absolutely. But it's also a place that other people can come and grow in. It's a place where other people can find sanctuary. It's a, people, a place where other people can be blessed. Um. Maybe the best example I can give of this is, um, is actually Lizzie's uh, mum and dad, uh, who are just the least judgmental people I've ever met. And uh, when you go in as the kind of boyfriend of their daughter, or, you know, as I initially met them, you know, you, if, if ever you're expecting to be judged, it's at that moment. Isn't that right? You're kind of on edge. Slightly defensive. Some men in this room know exactly what I'm talking about. They've been through that. And, uh, and I just remember going and the welcome I received and the kind of affirmation and the encouragement. And even to this day when we're kind of, um, you know, we're, we're stressed or we've had a busy time, we know that actually when we go and visit uh, Lizzie's mum and dad down south, we know that actually if you spend a weekend there, it feels like you've been gone a week. Because just it's, the, it's in the atmosphere of the place. Listen, these are the kind of families that we're going for. That kind of atmosphere in a household that draws people to it and changes them. Families are a big deal. And um, I just want to encourage people who are married and have kids and stuff like that. You're doing an amazing thing. You're not doing it just for yourself or for your kids. You're doing it for this city. Listen, all we need to change Glasgow is just, you know, a few hundred thousand fam- great families. You know, that's all. That would do it. That would do it. You're raising the future of this city. Uh, so God bless you <laughs> as you do it. The third thing he says is, uh, seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for it is in its welfare you will find your welfare. Seek the welfare of the city. Seek the common good. Bless liberally. In its welfare is our welfare. But I want to say that actually, as, as children of God, the reverse is also true. In our blessing is its blessing. In our um, harnessing 
of the power of God, of the blessing of God, is the blessing. That's where the, that is where the hope and the future of this city lies. And people just like you who get hold of God, who get hold of God's power and his, and, his, and his ideas and his strategies and his ways and his vision for this city, in you, in that sense, lies the blessing for the future of this city. But in order to do that, as I've said, we need to get involved. That's our example, isn't it, in Jesus? Jesus identifies with the world in order to redeem it. He lines up with a bunch of sinners to get baptized for sins that he doesn't need to repent of, but he does it anyway. Why? Because he wants to identify with us. He goes out to dinner with tax collectors and prostitutes to the extent where people speak uh, slander about him and his, his reputation becomes as nothing. Why? Because he knows that to redeem us, he needs to get involved. And the same is true with us. We need to, to get involved, to identify with our city. We need to start to equate our blessing with the city's blessing, to have that sense of responsibility in our hearts that says, actually, the, my welfare is the same as the welfare of this city. This city's welfare is my responsibility. It's dependent upon my prayers. It's dependent upon the atmosphere I create in my family. It's dependent upon how good Hope Church is. Because in these things, the blessing can flow to other people. And in that, of course, is praying for the city and its leaders. Now, this kind of relating to Glasgow that I'm talking about, this kind of getting involved, getting up close, getting thoroughly involved, is actually a challenging thing. And as I was um, thinking about this, uh, last night, um, my wife, as she's so good at doing, just completely nailed me, really, uh, on, on what I was about to say. Um, because what we were talking about really was, um, you know, when you, when you send your kids to school, uh, you... You can't, you, there can be a conflict at times between what you feel the call of, of God is for your life and what you feel would be good for you, your family, and your kids. You can think, well, actually, I feel like we should be living in that area, but actually sending our kids to that school uh, isn't an appealing prospect. There can be, there can be, it can feel at times like actually there's a conflict between getting involved and looking after your kids and stuff like that. And you can, you can feel torn in two different directions. And, uh, and we were kind of chatting about this and, and I realized as we were speaking really about the kind of, the challenge 
really, of thinking that way about the city. The challenge of of seeing your blessing as the city's blessing, of identifying with the city to that extent where, you know, when it's in trouble, you're in trouble. When the local school's a mess for other kids, it's actually a mess for your kids too. There's an amazing challenge in that level of identification with the world around you. And it's tough. It's very tough. And, and even as I was preparing, I kind of sen- thought, I even sensed that God talking to me about family situ- families in this church, family situations in this church where, where parents are facing these kinds of issues. And, uh, and that kind of difficulty of, of thinking, actually, can I entrust my kids uh, to this school or this teacher? Or, you know, can I, can I live in that kind of place and raise a family? And that's why we need the second part of, of Jeremiah's letter. He says this, I know the plans I have for you, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will come call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. And you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. To have this kind of people that engages and identifies with the city to this extent, the people, that kind of people need a, a sure and certain hope and trust in God's goodness. That actually, in the end, he is looking after you. He is looking after your family. He is looking after your kids. In the end, their times are in his hands, not in a school's or a teacher's or an area. Ultimately, he is the one who is directing affairs. Ultimately, He is the one who's upholding you and strengthening you and with you. And he will have the final say. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for your welfare. For your welfare. I can think of lots of situations where that would be difficult to believe. Plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. You know, it's very easy to look at our city and think, it'll always be this way. It's very easy to listen, as, uh, as some of the children of Israel were doing in this passage to the wrong prophets. And to, to hear the prophets of doom who will tell you that Glasgow is either at the top or the bottom, depending on which kind of league table it is, of all the really rubbish things 
for the whole of Europe. And you can think, well, this is just the way it is. This is just the way it's going to be. You know, sectarianism is just such a big part of our city. It's just kind of, it's kind of always been there. It'll kind of always be the way. I mean, addictions, isn't that just kind of what Glaswegians are? People who are just full of addictions. But God's intention is that we would be a people of hope. That he would give us a hope. And the truth is that all it takes is for one generation of people to turn their back on old ways and come to God. And centuries of division or addiction or broken marriages and domestic abuse and all these things that our city is currently famous for can be changed. His plan is to give us a future and a hope. But that can only come, that kind of hope, which needs to burn brightly even when things are dark, can only come from a place of radical intimacy with the Father. Then you will call upon me, Jeremiah says, and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. That was Jesus' trick, wasn't it? In the darkest place, he knew that he would bring the light because he knew that intimacy with the Father, that relationship, that hope burning in him of the kingdom coming to this earth. You will call upon my name and I will hear you. It reminds me of Jesus standing before Lazarus' tomb and saying, I mean, what a picture of hopelessness. But standing before Lazarus' tomb and saying, Father, I thank you that you hear me. I thank you that you always hear me. Now, Lazarus, come out. We're called to stand in front of tombs and call dead people back to life. We need to know that place of intimacy, that place that we are heard before the Father. As I was praying and, and, and thinking about this this morning, uh, I was reminded of, of an amazing section of the Old Testament in Numbers 23, uh, where God's people are, are journeying through the desert to the Promised Land, and, uh, and they encounter some people who don't like them very much, and, uh, and so they, they hire a kind of... Um, witch doctor type person uh, to, to come along and, and curse these people uh, Balaam or Balaam and uh, he, what they do is they get him to go up onto this hill overlooking this valley where all of Israel is kind of encamped and, uh, and the other um, kings who are around them who are kind of a bit scared of this people um, kind of prompt this guy, well, you know, here they are, here you are. 
Now's your chance. Curse them. And uh, what happens is when this witch doctor uh, opens his mouth to curse God's people, uh, he finds that he's absolutely unable to do it. It's, it's actually quite funny uh, in some ways. It says this. It says this. Um, uh, the king of Moab says, Come curse Jacob for me and come denounce Israel. And he says, How can I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? From the top of the crags I see him, from the hills I behold him. Behold, a people dwelling alone and not counting itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like this. And so they think, well, well, that didn't really work. Let's have another go. And they have another go at trying to curse the people of God. And he says this, God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and he will not fulfill it? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot revoke it. He has not beheld misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord their God is with them. And the shout of a king is among them. We are that people, folks, who cannot be cursed. We are that people who cannot be cursed. Wherever we go, And whatever we do, we carry God into that situation. God has blessed us that we can be a blessing to those around us. I want to encourage you this morning in your dealings with those around you. God is for you. He is going to bless you. He's going to use you to bless those around you. Why don't we pray? Lord Jesus, I want to thank you, Lord, for the the shout of the King among us. Lord, thank you, Lord, that you stretched out your hand to bless us, and now we are uncursable as a people. I want to thank you for this astonishing city of Glasgow that you've put us in, Lord, so wonderful and so broken. God, I want to pray, Lord, for it to come back to you. And God, I want to pray for each of us, Lord, in our, in our work situations. God, I want to pray for everybody who works in a business or in a school or in a university, or in a doctor's surgery, or in any other job, Lord, in this city. God, I want to pray that you would bless them, Lord, in, that, in their workplace. God, I want to pray that you would give them your strategies, God, and your answers, Lord, for their work. 
that your values might come into that organization and that blessing might flow through them. God, I especially want to pray for the families, Lord, for the mums and dads, Lord, in, uh, among us today. God, I want to pray that you would bless them, that you would give them faith for whatever you've put them, whatever you've called them to, that you have given them a future and a hope, that you've called them to blessing, that you're well able to look after them and their kids, Lord, as they follow you. God, I want to pray for all of us, Lord, as a, as a church, Lord, and churches all across this amazing city. God, I want to pray that you would give us grace to get involved more and more in our city, in blessing this amazing city, in being dispensers of blessing in this city. Lord, I want to pray for more miracles outside of this church than in it. God, I want to pray for... for um, people to, to get saved, Lord, in, in increasing measure all across the churches of our city. God, I want to pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. I want to thank you, Lord, that you've not just called us, Lord, to build church, but to change society, God, with your kingdom values. Come, Lord Jesus, come upon us, God, as we seek to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name. Just while... Uh, you're before God. I just, like I say, I felt that um, there were some here this morning who really just needed strengthening and encouragement uh, in, in the kinds of areas that I've mentioned. Maybe it's, maybe it is a family thing. I think there are some here like that, but, but maybe it's a work thing. Maybe, um, You've got an idea for a new way of doing things. Maybe you've seen something in the place you work that you don't like and you want to change it and you need courage. Maybe you know that the person sitting opposite you at work is ill and you need courage to, to, to just pray for them or tell them that you're praying for them. I just, I want to give people an opportunity to just be encouraged uh, through prayer uh, this morning. Um, so, um, in a second, when we close the meeting, um, I want to just invite anybody who, who wants to be encouraged to come forward, and uh, I'd love to pray with you. We've got others who would love to pray with you. Um, and we also, if anyone is themselves sick in any way, every week, uh, we love to pray with sick people because we've seen God do amazing things and his promises that he will use us to heal the sick, so... Again, please come forward if that is um, you. Okay? Amen.